0: that's where Apple has to do some quite swift catching up in terms of, can it be more relevant to me than what I have been using? Can it make good recommendations? Can it understand me?
1: More from Stuart Dredge later as we discuss the UK's first week of Apple Music. Welcome to Text Message. I'm Nate Langson And I'm Ian Morris. And we start with this week's picks from the UK tech tree. And we're going to start by talking about uh, a topic dear, near and dear to Ian's heart, Uh, because according to an Ofcom report released a few days ago, millennials are snubbing the living room for on-demand TV. And this is according to the write-up we're using uh, by Sophie Curtis on The Telegraph, who writes that young people are deserting the living living room uh, television in droves, preferring instead to stream video on their tablets and smartphones. And apparently, people between the ages of 16 and 24 only watch half of the TV live. The rest is all on catch-up. Now, this, on the one hand, to me, doesn't sound enormously surprising. Um, You know, I don't watch any live TV at all. I don't even have the box in the house that is enabling of that uh, service, although I do pay my license fee, I hasten to add. Um, So I'm, I'm lower down here. So it doesn't surprise me that people a lot younger than myself are using it half if anything I'm more surprised that it's as much as half what do you think Ian
2: Uh, yeah I mean I I just hate the word millennials (laughs) I just don't even really every time I hear it I'm like what does that even mean oh right it means people you know born around the millennium or whatever or people entering adulthood now kind of thing but you know what that's what's weird about this is that it isn't even that it's broader still well that's what I was going to say as well Well, is is it
1: not is it even more than that it's as, er- it's, it's as back, far back as the early 80s, according to some people.
2: But that's Most people virtually think- me. I mean, I'm, only, I'm, in, I'm, I'm old, but I, I know I'm late 70s. So what? Early so 80s? I'm not okay, a millennial. Then, mate. Let's use that as an unplanned benchmark. Okay. How much
1: of your live TV watching do you do uh, live? <laughs> Absolutely much- None. None at all. None
2: at all. I can't, I can't be held to someone else's schedule, mate. You, you know that. We're busy. We've got, we've got things to do. I know, mate. I've been trying to get you to record this podcast for about <laughs> yeah. the last two days. <laughs> yes, and I, I do apologise. Well. Um, but that was because I was having a nap because I'm old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you're bucking all sorts of trends, both those predictable yeah. and not, in that, uh, like me, you're watching no live TV. You're watching it all on catch-up. I just can't bear it.
2: it. I can't bear the idea of having to be somewhere at a certain time.
1: So the the question is this Ofcom report while on the one hand shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that um that it's it's half to us it sounds maybe it's surprisingly high and that millennials in our experience if we are to be classed as millennials which apparently we are then just about at least then we're we're bucking that trend more than the kids.
2: Well, I I can't really I can't really do justice to your you know your usual brilliant analogies, but this is one of those things, isn't it? Where it's it's about convenience. And if you know, I find having two legs very convenient. And if someone gave me the choice of having a convenient two legs or a slightly inconvenient one leg, I would pick the two legs. So obviously, I'm not going to want to inconvenience myself by having to be somewhere to watch TV when I can later go online, click a button, and enjoy it. And and you know, I. I, I I watch a lot of iPlay with the kids as well because kids really just don't understand why stuff isn't on when they want it to be on. And obviously that's partly my fault because I've brought my kids up to say, hey, well, let's watch a Peppa Pig then. And I press a button and there's Peppa Pig. And how old are your kids? Just remind us, your eldest. Izzy's nearly five uh, and Bob's nearly two. So, you know, these are, these are kids who are going to grow up really not understanding the whole point of live tv apart from events so obviously well that's the key you
1: see because and and this is true for advertisers as well live tv is considered the the holy grail in a sense because it's a captive audience people are talking about it sharing about it sharing it and you know getting your hashtag trending and particularly for the kind of the prime time x factors and panel-based voting musical shows and things like that's The reason that there are so many of them is that there's a huge commercial interest and people do want to debate them Mm. and you cannot physically do that in the same way using catch-up so it could well be that it's going to be basically cooking and antique shows all day in the day and in the evening it's going to be nothing but live broadcasts of x-factor and other shows and periodically there'll be some lambing live
2: and there will be Autumn Watch. Uh, And maybe EastEnders live, because they do that every now and then, don't they? But, I mean, in a a weirdly perverse way, this is is back to the origins of TV, where it wasn't possible to pre-record anything, and everything had to be live. You know, we're going to just see them go crazy and feel like everything has to be live in order to generate that thing but actually in a many ways that's that's not necessarily true like I don't actually because i'm I mean it's say I loved x factor which I don't but say I was really interested in that kind of program where I wanted to see a talent show um I still wouldn't probably watch it live because I don't feel like I need to be involved in that at the time unless I was on twitter i'd I'd feel perfectly happy watching the performances afterwards and maybe skipping all the you know nonsense in between because they have a lot of this. You know, heartbreaking story about how Dudar's gran is the only thing left, and he's singing because of his it, gran inspiring him. You know, I don't need to hear about that. I want to know whether the singing's any good or not. Presumably, mm. not. Although, not that singing's got a great deal to do with talent shows. I think that it, it's quite good
1: for for journalists on a on a on a uh, industry note. I, I, I know at least one freelance entertainment uh, writer who said that he used to get quite a lot of commissions by. Tweeting live tweeting a lot of the live shows and his mm. comments that would get retweeted, they'd be seen by other outlets and uh, and he'd get commissions that way. So, that, I mean, f- whether you're a consumer, an advertiser, whether you're inside the industry, it does seem that live and, and particularly events, as you say, are the things pulling together. My worry is that we get to the point where... We're broadcasting things live that are a detriment to the content. Because, for example, I remember there were they were live once live broadcasting a volcano that was going to at some point erupt, and the only thing that erupted was my blood pressure and my feeling of utter disdain that uh, somebody is possible they could put this on the TV and that I would know that it even existed. Knowing about it was annoying enough. Okay, I think that'll do. But let us know what you think. Podcast at natelankson.com. If you consider yourself to be a millennial, does this profile of you from Ofcom suggest, uh, does it come across as accurate that uh, you only watch 50% of your live TV? Or if you are older or just at the very outer outskirts of being a millennial, like Ian and myself, apparently, and you buck this trend in some way, let us know too. We'll read out some opinions next week. Podcast at natelankson.com. Ian, it's time to talk solid state Mm. drives. It is a very exciting topic. I'm personally of the opinion that flash memory is one of the few things in tech, with the possible now exception of very low power CPUs, that still maintain a degree of magic. I feel that a number of years in the industry writing about everything that is being hap- that is developing in the world of technology, eventually everything is basically <laughs> fine. Flash memory, and particularly I, I speak of micro SD cards, which are now up to the, the realms of, you know, half a terabyte or something ridiculous, 128 gig, 256 gigabytes on, a, on a,
2: a chip the size of a thumbnail and not even a big thumbnail, you know. Yeah, like a really stunted thumbnail, but, but more even like a, a, a sort of pinky fingernail, really.
1: Exactly. We're talking huge amounts of data. So I always like to note when we have massive doublings of capacity, and it excited Ian as well when I suggested we talk about this, Samsung has announced a laptop SSD, and this is of the size that can fit in a MacBook. Uh, It's the same size uh, that would go into, say, a PlayStation. They're the same size disks. This is an SSD that has two terabytes of storage it is obviously very expensive i'm not sure how much the uk price is just yet because it literally just got announced but two terabytes that's a doubling of the previous maximum of one terabyte and one of those um i've got one in in my macbook and although it was half price when i when i got it it uh, the retail price was four hundred and forty nine pounds Suggestive. <laughs>
2: well, i've just looked, i've just seen the u.s price it's uh it's not cheap is it how much is the u.s price well th- from what i can see here um, the two terabyte 850 Evo is eight hundred dollars, and so the 850 Pro is one thousand.
1: So it's probably a little bit more than the one terabyte was when it came out, which is which is actually better than I would have expected. But we're still talking probably half a grand for two terabytes. Now, mm. solid state storage is amazing because it is incredibly fast. Computers boot up in a very, very small amount of time. But the reason that it's particularly interesting to us, and I think this is what we wanted to discuss most, Ian, is that as devices are getting smaller, flash memory is getting much more capacious, if you like. Mm. It means that we get, basically, for most people, very good amounts of storage in most consumer devices. You know, the the new MacBook ships with um, up to half a terabyte already. The MacBook Pros are up to a terabyte. But if you do need huge amounts of um, storage for, say, lots of HD editing or even 4K editing on a laptop if you're shooting out in the field, you have to still consider spinning disks. Yeah. And moving into the territory of 2 terabytes of solid state, that's beginning to feel now like the almost the death knell for, for, for spinning disks, at least in the consumer market mm. marketplace. I, mean, only- I, I,
2: I just hate spinning disks. I, I can't wait for those things to die. Um, the sooner the better.
1: They 're probably going to get a little bit more expensive for a little while at some point because they 're going to become so prohibitively expensive to manufacture that ironically the flash prices will keep going down capacities of the spinning discs will still go up and probably hit
2: the eight or ten or twelve terabytes yeah we 're before... already at like six or something fact yeah. is there not are there not eight terabyte drives already because the... I know there are some very very slow drives you can get now that are designed only for archive. It um, wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me but I think
1: the price of those is likely to go up because so so many fewer people are buying them that it actually means they have to charge more for them just to keep them in manufacturing. So yeah. I think that we are probably at a turning point now where we're starting to see everybody basically buying SSDs, particularly as it means the you know one-terabyte ones are going to cost probably between 100 and £200 pounds within the next 12 months. So there's really no good reason to buy a spinning disk unless you need huge amounts of storage. And that probably means you're a professional and that probably means you've got a bit more money to spend and they can justify charging that much to keep them in manufacturing. But I think... It's it's a good move. I can't see any downsides to this, and it's only no. a matter of time before we see the Toshiba's and Sandisks of the world releasing their two terabytes. They all tend to innovate at the same speed.
2: Yeah, I mean it, 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 they do, and um, I mean I, I I don't think there's a lot stopping them from having big drives beyond cost, really. I, I don't think that there's a, any sort of technical issue, is there? Really, it's it's it purely comes down to what the market will bear in terms of what people are prepared to pay. And I, I need a lot of storage. I've I've got a lot, but I'm starting to move it all to NAS. Uh, units now because i've had i've had two three terabyte drives fail this year um and i think there was something wrong with the whole every every manufacturer's three terabyte drive were just awful because i've had two from two different manufacturers die and it it, 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 i would say mate, if i can interject that the
1: consistent uh the the consistent thing in all of this is you are you absolutely Uh, sure it's not (laughs) your fault
2: um, I'm pretty sure it's not my fault because I have hard drives in my computer that are really, really old and have been doing solid service for me for many years. Um, I have, I can't, I, mean, I, I could look now if anyone was interested, but they're not because why would they be? But I have a 500 gigabyte drive, so that get, that sort of ages it a bit, doesn't it? I mean, that's years old, mm. um, and it and it's fine. Um, but but the three ter- both the three terabyte drives I've had have both failed. So, I don't, yeah. the thing is, for 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 desktop computers, unless you're, you might as well put everything in a NAS. It's safer. You can have RAID. Um, for for not, you know, for storing your apps and stuff for games, you're better off having an SSD. Anyway, it's much quicker. There are some really nice. Have you seen these? um, Because obviously the SATA standard is quite slow, so you now get uh, PCI Express SSDs that are phenomenally quick. I mean, that's what's in my
1: new MacBook Pro. Yeah,
2: I mean that 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 stuff is insane. Like the kind of write speeds and read speeds you can get from that is is another level entirely. I mean, it it completely takes away all of that bottleneck around storage, uh, and and just means that you, you can really sort of get a lot more out of your computer if i had a choice and if i could afford it i'd be all ssds but you know these things take time
1: they do indeed well you can take a look at these i think they're on sale now, um, or certainly uh, before too long. I can't see a mention of a UK availability, but these things tend to basically be available worldwide pretty quickly after they launch. So um, let us know if you pick one up and yeah, what you well, think of um, it.
2: And we'll be happy to take you know, five or six each for review,
1: won't we, Nate? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I categorically need eight to yeah. comprehensively review. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but uh, let us know any of your thoughts on, uh, on SSDs if you use them. And if you're still somebody who buys spinning disks, that's going to be very interesting um, to find out why and, and what need is there for you? Podcast at Natelansoncom Well, let's talk a brief moment about feedback. Um, we've had a few emails that we had about cinema So thank you to everyone that's still um, ranting about 3D cinema. But I wanted to point out just one quick note that came in from Dennis in Ireland, who said that he's loving the show and that we've actually got four reviews on the iTunes Ireland site as of today, and they're all five stars, including his. Thank you very much. And uh, he started listening to the show after he heard me on Tech Stuff, the podcast that I did with Jonathan Strickland. Uh, He said he listened to that one for quite a while. So that's great to know. And thank you very much, because we are, I'm not even sure the current total we're up to on the iTunes store but i mean the last time i looked at it i think it was around the 65 mark and five star reviews and we hit number 80 in the charts out of all podcasts in the world we hit number 80 at so one point it's just amazing isn't it which was uh, which was quite good but um do let us know if you leave a message on the non-uk stores um unfortunately when i check for reviews 66 according to uh the page i just pulled up 66 it's five stars so thank you very much we uh, check the uk one but there's so many stores around the world that people do leave reviews on other ones it seems uh, as dennis has pointed out uh, but we don't necessarily get to see them because we don't get notified so if you have left one or if you notice in your local store that we have some reviews please let us know uh, or maybe take a screen grab or something like that and send them to podcast.nate langson.com very appreciative and of course to everyone who leaves feedback there and tells their friends and colleagues
2: Today we're announcing Apple Music, the next chapter in music, and I know you are going to love it.
1: One week ago today, Apple released Apple Music to the UK and the world. It's answer to Spotify, the opening, of the iTunes store, to subscription paying listeners. It's new beginnings as a global music radio provider. Back at its unveiling in June, the company made some typically lofty claims about the importance of Apple Music, things like
2: Apple Music is all of the ways you love music all in one place
1: and other things like It will change the way that you experience music forever and just when we thought, yeah, yeah, this is iTunes radio all over again, US only release, blah blah blah
2: and we're launching in over a hundred countries later this month with iOS 8.4 for your iPhone iPod Touch and iPad, as well as a new version of iTunes for the Mac, a new version of iTunes for Windows, and Android is coming this fall.
1: Well, Apple Music has been available for a week now. I've been using it, Ian has been using it, and Stuart Dredge, a media expert and journalist for The Guardian and Music Ally, has been using it. We've learned a lot about how valid Apple's faith is in its service as the be-all and end-all of music services. We've experienced things we like a lot and some things we don't. It's too early to draw any fair conclusions yet about the product because so much of what Apple intends it to be relies on customers using it and thus giving Apple the information about their listening habits that it needs to offer a personalized experience. It also needs artists to fulfil their end of the so-called bargain, filling up the social networking side of the platform with yet more content aimed at bringing fan and musician ever closer together it's at this point it's worth casting a thought back to iTunes Ping, the short-lived social network within iTunes that had what seems like one of the briefest lifespans of any digital product in Apple's recent history, at just two years to the month. But even with Ping in mind, it's equally important for cynics and supporters to remember the power Apple wields in the digital music world iTunes is the biggest music retailer on the planet, bigger than Amazon, bigger than any sort of HMV-like high street retailer, bigger than the lot. And it has sold over one billion iOS devices since 2007, that's iPhones, iPads and iPod Touches. And every single one of them that Apple still supports has something in common. They have iTunes pre-installed, and they have a three-month free trial of Apple Music waiting for them. There's no doubt that whatever Apple does with Apple Music, it's going to have a big impact. I mentioned music and technology journalist Stuart Dredge just now and I caught up with him this week. He follows the industry every hour of every day and he's been using Apple Music while doing so. I started by asking him how he thinks the launch was received by the UK in its important first few days of life. I think the industry has been very excited about this for a while. I think because they want competition for
0: Spotify, ideally they want two or three kind of big streaming services competing to innovate with new features, competing in marketing themselves. They don't want one player dominating like iTunes did in the download space. So people are very excited about the kind of the fact that it's here finally and existing. Thing. Um, and yeah, I think people are picking over the details. Like people are saying, oh, well, the, the, the design could be improved. It's not quite as accessible as, as Spotify. People are looking at the kind of the approach to curation and figuring out how the works. I think everyone is just trying to get to grips with what Apple's, how Apple are running it, where the room for improvement is. And, and I think most sensible people are trying to avoid making those kind of hot take things of saying it's 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 a success and spotify is doomed or vice versa I think everyone's just it's an encouraging start it's the kind of feeling i'm getting
1: and what about beats one apple's answer to bbc radio one in some respects does it stand up as well in the uk as in the us well, it's been really interesting especially seeing people in the us
0: going loopy about a radio station that plays records it likes and isn't kind of i think you sort of understand that i think we're quite spoiled here and we have radio one and we have six music and all these stations we're kind of used to stations having specialist shows and kind of having playlists that aren't completely sort of focus group into oblivion so outside the uk people have been like this is amazing and over here we're sort of saying well it's kind of like saying hello on radio one we're used to this but yeah i mean i think it has been it's it's been really interesting that idea of humans picking songs and recommending I mean there's been a lot talk about algorithms versus humans and how you get your recent recommendations and the fact that beats one has been exciting people kind of does show that there is that role for humans in this process and humans talking to you and saying this is really amazing and, and, and playing a song it's it's kind of a it's still a valuable thing I think so yeah I think um in terms of replacing Radio 1, I mean, you can sort of tell the BBC are running around a bit in a kind of, this is a real big challenge for us. And I've been quite interested to notice that the, the focus hasn't really been on is Apple Music a Spotify killer? It's more in, is it a radio killer um, over here in the US?
1: For the UK, there are stark similarities between Beats 1 and BBC Radio 1. Should Radio 1 be concerned?
0: Apple's thing is very much live radio, tune in. I mean, I haven't even got kind of iPlayer style archiving. So if you don't catch Dr Dre's show, I think it's about 11 p.m. UK time, you've got to listen to it at 11am the next day. And it's those two kind of points. You can't go and download the show and listen to it like you would with, I don't know, Zane Lowe's old Radio 1 show. So that's one difference. I mean, the other thing as well is Radio 1, you can see they're kind of expanding other ways. So Radio 1 have got this YouTube channel. It's got like, I think, a million subscribers now. And they're very much saying, actually, their definition of radio is expanding to video and YouTube and online video. So I think there's room for both. I think I think it's quite good if, if, if Beats 1 is pushing people like Radio 1 to carry on Innovating, and carry and find different ways to reach the people who listen to it, I think it's quite healthy. In a similar, in a similar way to where I think the competition with Spotify, the, that competition to kind of bring out new features and make it easier to use will be healthy overall. I think it's the same for radio. I don't think it's like killing anything. I think it will give it a, a good shot in the arm, hopefully.
1: It's only a matter of time before shows or interviews from Beats 1 or Beats 2, 5, Ten, Fifty, are archived for streaming or even purchasing. Apple has a history of hosting live sessions for artists around the world, and in September each year, it hosts the iTunes Music Festival at London's Roundhouse in Camden, a free-to-attend month of daily concerts with headlines ranging from Lady Gaga to Paul Simon to Muse, all of which were either live-streamed for free on Apple TV or iTunes, or made available for paid download as an exclusive EP for fans afterwards. Could this be the next step? for Beats 1.
0: Yeah, definitely. And even you can see them putting the interviews on YouTube. Well, that's not what you paid for, but they're putting the Zainless interview with Eminem's on YouTube, I think. And so I, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a good a competition. I think the other thing is, I think Beats 1 is only the start. I think if this goes well, you will see Beats 2, Beats 3. Because one interesting thing is this idea of a global station aimed at everyone and the focus seems to be new music and independent music. So it's very much like Zane Lowe's show was on Radio 1. But Apple has this huge audience of people who, who probably will tune in here on the jewels and go, this is a little bit too cutting edge for me. I quite like some older stuff. Um, so there is there is scope for them to take on Radio 2, to take on 6 Music, take on um, dance channels. So I think what I think we'll see this, this is kind of a trail run for can Apple run a network of radio stations with people. So I'm fascinated by it, seeing how that's turned
1: out. Let's step inside the industry a bit. Spotify, Deezer, Napster, Tidal, Google Play. They're all sitting here around me looking a bit nervous. Do we have any indication yet that users are leaving one for the other or is it basically just too early to tell? I
0: think I'm super early to judge. I know there were a lot of people giving the trial a go. So, I mean, there's a lot of people saying sorry, Spotify, I'm giving Apple Music a try because it's free. So a lot of people are gonna, they've got three months, if they've got an iPhone or an iPad, they can try it. Um, obviously, people who are on Android haven't got Apple Music yet, so they're not trying it. So they haven't fled away from Spotify. But yeah, I think you can see a lot of sampling. You can see people trying it and seeing what they think. And then either, I mean, I've seen, I've seen, and you can't judge it from tweets. You know, I've seen, I've seen three tweets, therefore it's inclusive. Um, But I've seen people saying, so long Spotify, this is great. And I've seen people saying, no, I'm back to Spotify. I couldn't, couldn't hack this. So. It really is going to be, in three months' time, we'll start seeing if Spotify has cancellations um, or if it will start flooding back to it. Um, yeah, there'll be a lot. I think I think pretty much anyone who is on Spotify but has an iPhone will be giving us a try because they, they've already shown they're interested in streaming music and interested in paying for it. So, uh, yeah, there'll be a lot of sampling, I think, rather than anyone deciding for sure yet
1: With a billion iOS devices sold and counting, is there a risk that Apple is so big, controls so much of the experience a music customer has with its services and devices, that Spotify's place in the App Store itself could be threatened?
0: I think that's definitely an issue to watch there. I and mean, I'm fascinated as a journalist in watching this. So I think Apple has some advantages that, that are clear from its platform. So it can put the music app on everyone's iPhone. It can give them all a free trial. Uh, it can do massive promotion. It can, it can you know, run ads on TV, which are for Apple products still, but promoting music service. So those are some advantages. The other thing it has is it has that thing of if you pay for a subscription um, for Spotify, uh, Apple takes 30% of the cut. So for that reason, people like Spotify will charge sort of 12.99 if you subscribe through iOS because that lets Apple take its 30% while Spotify still gets a tenner. So in, in a way, because Apple has the App Store and it has that cut of revenues, rivals often have to up their price, whereas Apple can leave it at 10 quid and it still gets all the money because it's a platform owner. Um, anything, anything more than that, I think, I think Apple is too smart to go down that route because there's already been talk about is there anti competition issues here. I think Spotify is already shown it's willing to go and complain to the regulators if it sees bad done. So, in terms of disincentivising people directly, not to have Spotify or or hampering its app being approved, I'd be really surprised if that happens because that would be that would be an instant complaint to the EC and to the FTC in the US.
1: To close, Stuart comments that the winner. Between Spotify and Apple is not going to be its catalog or the catalog of any of these services, but more about which of them knows the customer best and offers the most personalized experience at the end of any free trial.
0: A long free trial was a good idea because people have shown before that you, if you give someone a week's free trial of a streaming service, it's not really enough time for them to know whether they like it or not. Um, it's I mean it's done a good job on the I mean the playlists look really good the, the kind of the, the curated playlists so. I mean, I keep getting recommended Snow Patrol Deep Cuts, which I'm not entirely <laughs> convinced by because I'm not a big fan of them. Um, but they have got a, a sort of a, quite a deep list of stuff that's kind of theme playlists or bands or so on. So we're doing a lot of work, I think, on the back end. Um, one thing I'm seeing is not necessarily something wrong, but something they have to catch up with is that Spotify in particular, if you've been on there for three years, it has a lot of data about your listening habits and it's got quite a smart, um, division of its company focused on using that information to make better recommendations, to kind of connect you with playlist creators you'd like, a lot of the kind of the human, human sort of algorithm stuff. So Apple's gonna have to catch up. I mean, thinking of my example, I mean, iTunes doesn't know very much about my music habits, because I haven't really bought much from it in the last few years, because I was using Spotify. So it knows I bought the Beyonce album, it knows I bought the Taylor Swift album, and it knows I bought a couple of other things that weren't on Spotify, whereas Spotify knows everything I've listened to for five years so that's where Apple has to do some quite swift catching up in terms of can it be more relevant to me than what I have been using, can it make good recommendations, can it understand me?
1: Well Ian is still here of course and I wanted to get his views on Apple Music and one of the things I wanted to talk to you about first Ian was um, streaming and particularly the quality of streaming you and I um, over the years have had many conversations about music quality and the benefits or lack thereof of lossless (laughs) and high res and things like that and one of the things that I've noticed in using Apple music so far, is that if you're connected to Wi-Fi or if you download a song to your library to play back, you get basically the same quality version that's in the iTunes store, which is 256 Mm. kilobits per second in AAC, which, for the sake of argument, is basically the same as Spotify's top-end setting and Amazon's standard mp3 setting where this i think
2: google does about 256 mp3s as well so it's probably a bit better than that it
1: it is some of them are complicated because they're variable bit rate whereas apple's is constant bit rate so but i think broadly speaking they're all roughly around the same point the, the high end of of what is possible for each format um what i've noticed about apple music though is if you stream a song over 3g it is streaming at a noticeably lower bit rate now that's noticeable to me and I am um you know listening out for this kind of stuff to be fair and it's not that it sounds bad but it is very clearly lower res it's got all the telltale signs of a um not badly compressed audio file but one that has been been compressed at the the level to ensure the minimum file size while maintaining the feeling of cd quality which is that kind of crystalline sort of high end but you can hear symbols sort of wobbling because they they are, haven't got enough data to save the shimmer of a symbol for one thing
2: and weirdly that was what i noticed with the beats one launch actually at the start of that it was i, I could hear all that shimmering and it was awful and then suddenly the the variable bit rate seemed to or because the, they have various streams don't they? i think that they dynamically shift you around and then it suddenly got better for the Beats audio. This is the thing. They haven't come out and explicitly said so. Um I think Eddie Q
1: tweeted that there is a difference for streaming or for mobile, but we don't know how extensive the difference is, whether it's adaptive bitrate, which is what for most people you notice if you press play at an iPlayer, and you think the picture's a bit blurry to begin with, but then it sort of sharpens up a few seconds later. Mm. That's called adaptive bitrate, and it means that if you don't have enough bandwidth on your internet connection it will just choose a lower quality beginning of the file or middle of the file and um, and as your increase as your buffer increases it can download higher quality the difference is is that on Spotify you can change this so there is a, a, a normal setting there is a higher setting and then there's a what they call extreme which is 320 which is for all intents and purposes the same as all the download stores and Apple does not have one. My guess is that it is to preserve data usage on mobile, not for their benefit, probably, but for users uh, not being stuck with large data bills. But I'm very perturbed that this is not an option yet to change. And I hope an option to change this comes with iOS 9 because although I, I'm not going to say that if I'm just streaming a song, I'm super concerned about quality because it'll mean I'm outdoors and I'm on headphones, I'm moving, I'm not at home connected to my hi-fi, my big speakers, where you'll really notice that. Um, But it bugs me that I'm going to notice this every time and I would just love, as a paid user, or will be in three months' time be a paid user, um, I would just love to be able to change that, that quality to at least be uh, um, um, the same as the iTunes store if I download them. Do
2: you not think though that it might be one of the very traditional Apple things whereby they're just trying to make it nice and easy for everyone and, and that's why they haven't put that choice in rather than get people who are possibly going to be the least technically literate streamers of anyone. Um, and just not give them the choice, so that it doesn't confuse them. Yes, um, I mean, but I, I don't personally agree with that as a as a standpoint because I think that you put it in a settings menu, and no one ever needs to see it until they decide they want to change. Aha, it. and that's the key point because that's what they do for ripping CDs: is that there is a right.
1: um, there is a default for for converting to uh, if you basically if you rip a CD into lossless and you want to move it onto your phone. Previously, there was only one setting, which was to compress it down to the same as the iTunes Store, which at the time was one twenty eight kilobits aac they eventually changed that to give you the option of, of choosing a higher bit rate um for those on the fly conversions but you've got no control over whether it's aac or mp3 you can't pick the bit rate other than the two or three apple offers you and i think it would be good at least to remain competitive with spotify for apple to integrate a, a quality control particularly when it comes to 3g because it does at the moment at least offer spotify competitive advantage saying if you stream over mobile you can choose high quality you know and, and high quality was title's big pitch might not be a big seller but for nerds and and people like me who is both a nerd and myself uh this is quite an important issue
2: yeah definitely and also apple's gone to a lot of effort recently to improve the DAC quality in the iphone so that it's actually very good now yeah um so why not make it, take advantage of it? Well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about with uh, Apple
1: Music, in is how you're finding recommendations. Because on my side of the fence, I'm going to be most interested in hearing sort of unusual heavy metal that I don't already know. And I put a lot of time and effort into staying ahead of the curve and listening to new bands. And so the key for me is for iTunes to surface from its catalogue unusual or old or out of the way metal bands that i don't already know currently despite using itunes for 10 years the music it's suggesting to me on its for you channel the kind of radio and playlists part of apple music it's stuff i either already own despise or i would consider (laughs) largely irrelevant for example it knows itunes knows that i have um uh, uh, all of Funeral for Friend's albums. They're not particularly metal, but let's just go with that. F- for some reason, they're on top of my head. Um, all their albums, and they know that I have played the first two albums com- to completion 20 or 30 times. And yet one of the top playlists that I saw this morning coming into work was Intro to Funeral for a Friend.
2: <laughs> now, there's no
1: yeah. need for it to be there. I like it. And yeah, maybe I'll go and listen to a bit of Funeral for a Friend later today. But I'd much rather it say, here's this unusual band from france who has the same drummer and bassist from this band which we see you like that sounds like this other band we see you like um maybe you'd like this one it doesn't need to be manually curated but it should recommend those and spotify tends to be better at that so far and i wanted to hear your thoughts and how your experience has been because you listen to quite a lot of um (laughs) odd electronic music and trance and edm and Katy perry so
2: but you know what's interesting as well? I mean, you, you you basically use iTunes all the time, don't you? And I don't at all. And I don't, in fact, even now, I don't have my library in iTunes. So it doesn't really have any play counts for me. Um, and what it's done is pretty much picked the sort of thing that I would probably listen to for the most part. Like, not the stuff that I really I like, but I tend to listen to a lot of kind of quite middle-of-the-road pop kind of stuff when I'm working or whatever um and it, it seems to have done not a bad job of picking that out with a smattering of kind of the, the sort of you know commercial dance stuff that I tend to end up listening to a bit as well like you know Tiesto and things like that which I guess hard I guess
1: that's Apple's <laughs> Whole angle. I mean, they're going for the mainstream with this launch, and they're certainly going yeah. for the mainstream with Beats and with Beats One. So maybe, but
2: funnily enough, what, a lot of what I loved was stuff that I was listening to on Beats One, which is stuff I've never heard before. So I think because what they did with you know, what I've I've quite liked about Beats One, particularly on the launch night, was that they not Zane Lowe. I didn't think he was particularly good, but with a lot of the other DJs, they actually played some really good, interesting stuff that I wanted to hear more of. So I did do a lot of loving that. But that hasn't really shown up, I don't think, in the For You thing. But I don't know why. I haven't used it enough, I don't think. I think... Ask me again at the end of the three-month trial, and I pro- might have a better answer for you. Well, we
1: certainly we, we will. This is the last episode that we're probably going to talk about Apple Music at, at any length. Um, but in three months, we will do another one and, and review the previous three months and see how it's mm. affected our listening habits and, and the industry. Will we be paying or not? Is
2: the key question, isn't it? Well,
1: I think I probably will, but only because I don't. Although I, ha- I do have Spotify Premium, but I actually use that more just for sampling new stuff, and then I'll end up either buying individual songs of iTunes if I only like one or two of them or i buy the cd if i like the the most of the album or the band but yeah we'll come back to it um and uh, and review that but do you listen to or did you listen to or still listen to radio one bbc radio one
2: no not really so it's because i because th- weirdly i don't find radio one particularly good for discovering music like i don't think it's i don't think it moves around quickly enough it, wh- the thing about beats one that was struck me launch night um, and i've forgotten the, the girl's name who does it from london do you re- do you remember her name i didn't know it in the first place she she was very she was very very good actually and i think what she did was a really nice uh mix of music that i thought you know it, it wouldn't none not all of it appealed to me and and not all of it I would have assumed would have appealed to me. But actually there were a few tracks in there that I really enjoyed and I'd like to listen to stuff around that. So I think that's probably the most interesting part of it. They, they, they have taken it away from that traditional radio model of this is just the top 40 essentially and maybe a little bit outside of. Radio 1's not bad, but it is a, a variation on a very tried and tested method, which is chart music. And I would like to discover new stuff because I'm always thinking, oh, I'm bored of all this music. I want to hear something new and no one is able to give me that that well.
1: Well, that's going to do it for this week's text message. Thank you so much for listening and thank you, of course, to Stuart Dredge for talking to me about Apple Music. And of course, for anybody wanting to do something as a thank you for the show every week, the best thing you can do that would mean the most to me is to go to iTunes and leave a review, letting other people know that you enjoyed the show. Or, of course, tell a colleague, tell a friend about the podcast. And if they're not listening to any podcasts already, maybe offer to help them download an app for them give them some advice about how apps work when it comes to podcasting on mobile devices and maybe subscribe them to text message first if you think they're into tech or any other podcasts basically the more people listening to podcasts the more chances there are that they'll tell someone else to start listening to them too